Well, good morning. We're in the book of Matthew, in case you didn't know. Uh, we've been taking, actually, some of you might not know. If you're new here, welcome. We're so glad you're here this morning. Thank you. Hey, podium. Um, we've been taking a long road through the book of Matthew. Matthew is a gospel. It's, it was written by one of Jesus' disciples, Matthew. His name was Matthew. And uh, it just goes through the life of Jesus. And Matthew really focuses on Jesus as king and his kingdom. Um, and where we're at uh, is we've been going through for a while now the week uh, leading up to Jesus' crucifixion, Jesus going to the cross. And during that week, he's been going uh, into the temple, and then at night he goes with his disciples, and they, they travel out to the east there to stay on the Mount of Olives, and then they go back in uh, into town and, and spend time in, in the temple. And the last uh, visit to the temple was his last visit to the temple, at least for a while. And, and that visit, he was really getting on the Pharisees and the religious leaders there, telling them, judgment is coming. On Jerusalem, judgment uh, for really the blood guilt that you have as a city, as a people, uh, prophets come to you to be crucified. And there's another one about to be crucified, not just a prophet, but Jesus. And then the disciples that were to come after him also. Um, and so the blood guilt of all of that is about to come on Jerusalem. They're about to be destroyed. Um, we know from history that happened in 70 A.D. by the Roman armies coming in and destroying Jerusalem, destroying the, the temple. Um, and so as the last thing, that, so he's telling them that, he's telling them um, that's going to happen on that generation. And then the last thing he says before he leaves the temple is, uh, you know, you're not going to see me again until you say, blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. And Jesus is talking about a future time when he's going to be coming, returning, and, and it hasn't happened yet. But there's going to be a time in the future where Jesus will return to the temple and Israel will say, blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. And then it says as they're leaving uh, the temple then, uh, they're looking at the temple and Jesus tells his disciples, not one of these stones is going to be left standing on one another. And he's talking about What's going to happen in 70 AD, the destruction of the temple? And then they go back out to the Mount of Olives. And uh, while they're out there, it says some of his disciples came to him privately. Mark says it's actually Peter, James, and John, and Andrew came to him, said, Jesus, when's all this going to happen? Uh, what's, what's going to be the sign of your coming in the end of the age? Right? And that leads to a big response from Jesus. That's what we've been studying is the answer to that question. He's talking about what's coming. Um, so let's read. We are in the middle of all of that. Uh, we're going to pick up today in verse 21 um, as he's talking about the great tribulation. Um, if, this is, if you're jumping into this for the first time, you can go find past sermons in audio or you can find them on YouTube, uh, on our website or on YouTube. Um, you can go catch up if you want to. Um, there's a lot here 
to take in. Even if you catch up, there's still a lot to take in. Um, I'm going to try to go through it carefully and clearly as we do that. All right, verse 21, Matthew chapter 24, picking up from last week. Um, Jesus tells them, For then there will be great tribulation, such as not, has not been from the beginning of the world until now. No, and never will be. And if those days had not been cut short, no human being would be saved. But for the sake of the elect, those days will be cut short. Um, then if anyone says to you, look, here's the Christ, or there he is, do not believe it. For false Christs and false prophets will arise and perform great signs and wonders so as to lead astray, uh, astray if possible, even the elect. See, I have told you beforehand. So if, you, if they say to you, look, he is in the wilderness, do not go out. If they say, look, he is in the inner rooms, do not believe it. For as lightning comes from the east and shines as far as the west, so will be the coming of the Son of Man. Wherever the corpse is, there the vultures will gather. Immediately after the tribulation of those days, the sun will be darkened, and the moon will not give its light, and the stars will fall from heaven, and the powers of the heavens will be shaken then will appear in heaven the sign of the Son of Man, and then all the tribes of the earth will mourn, and they will see the Son of Man coming on the clouds of heaven with power and great glory. And he will send out his angels with a loud trumpet call, and they will gather his elect from the four winds from one end of heaven to the other. God, thank you for your word. Thank you for giving us a heads up of what to expect. And Lord, as we're trying to discern these things. I just pray that you help us to understand it correctly. God, that you put within us the right sense of hope and, ex and, and expectancy to what's coming. Um, Lord, help us this morning. It's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. As we've been going through this, we do need to go back to the original question. What are the disciples asking? Because this has been an area of confusion um, in this passage. I've, I've read through so many different takes on end times. What's, what's going to happen, right? There's, there, the reason why there's so many different ideas is because it hasn't happened yet, um, right? And, and just like the Jews uh, back in Jesus' day, they had all these different expectations. Who is this Messiah person? Is it Elijah? Is it Moses? It, it, it kind of revealed all of their different ideas of what the prophecies might um, be talking about. And so we, we do need to just pay attention to, to what's there. What, what is the question he's asking? Um, and, and a lot of times just these basics get, get brushed over because someone has an idea, oh, this is what it is. And, and it's just, just the simple things get lost. They ask the question and Jesus is answering it, right? Um, and one of the ways that... that uh, we can naturally, actually very easily, uh, uh, get thrown off here is that in the text, um, right after, you know, so they're leaving the temple, and right after Jesus is, is telling about how Jesus told them not one stone is going to be left on another, then the ne very next verse, they're all the way at the Mount of Olives, coming to Jesus privately, asking, when are all these things going to happen? And so the natural thing is, oh, he just talked about the temple. They're asking, when is the temple going to be destroyed? That's, we're just reading it. We're not catching that, hey, there's a context change. They were at the temple. Now they're at the Mount of Olives. 
And they're asking a question, and what they're asking about is actually right in their question. Um, and it's not really about the temple. So we go back to the question. The question was all the way back in verse 3. As he sat on the Mount of Olives, this is right after he's told them about the temple being destroyed. So, um, but this is a, an important context switch. He's no longer at the temple. He's at the Mount of Olives. As, as he sat on the Mount of Olives, the disciples came to him, or as Mark uh, tells us, it was uh, Peter, James, John, and Andrew came to him privately saying, tell us, when will these things be? And what will be the sign of your coming and the end of the age? What are they asking about? His coming and the end of the age. And, and, and uh, apparently, they've been talking about things, just like we do. When we start talking about end times, have any of you gone home after all of this study of Matthew 24? You go, well, I wonder if it's this. I wonder if it's that. We have conversations when we're wondering, well, when is this going to happen? When is all this going to be, right? And, 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 I, and their question is, is less related to what Jesus was talking about as they left the temple and more related to what he said right before they left the temple. When you see me again, you're going to say, blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. That's more their question, the return of Christ, the end of the age. And they've, they've heard about the end of the age. This is something new to them, but <clears throat> Jesus obviously has talked about it when he told them the parable of the wheat and the tares. The harvest in that parable, he told them, represented the end of the age. And if Jesus says something once in what's recorded in the Gospels, I'm sure he's actually said it multiple times to his disciples in the time that he's with them. Um, this only captures a part of it. So, um, what is the question? We just need to make sure of that. Mark also records the same event, <clears throat> and he phrases it. <clears throat> we get another perspective on the question. Um, if you look in Mark, uh, Tell us, this is what they're saying, when will these things be? And what will be the sign when all these things are about to be accomplished? So, the end of the age. When are the things of the end of the age about to happen? Or are the things of the end, right? Um, what is the sign of your coming, your return? So, if I was going to summarize real quick, what are they asking? Sign of his coming. Sign of the end of the age, and when? When? All of it. When is he coming? It's, it's what I want to know. When are you coming, and, and when is the end of the age? Um, just this morning, James, you're back there asking me, when is the end of the gen age of the Gentiles going to be? Like, that's the one thing that, well, we don't get to know, actually, right? Um, but we want to know, and that's what they're asking is, what, what, when will we know that these things are here and when are they going to happen? Jesus' answer, <laughs> it's not obvious at first because otherwise, why did I have to study it so much to see this? Um, it's actually very straightforward. He's answering those questions. Um, what did he start with? What's leading up to the end, but not the end yet? That's what we, we started studying at first. All things that, that might seem like it's, oh, this is the end, but he's saying, you're going to see these things, and, and that's okay. 
Uh, but it's not the end yet. Wars, rumors of wars, apostasy, uh, people's love growing cold. The gospel's going to go out to the whole world. All these things are going to happen, but the end is not yet. That's how he starts out. They're asking, what's the sign of the end of the age? Well, he starts out with all those things that might trigger them to think it's there, but it's not yet. And then he gives them the big, obvious, clear sign. When they see it, especially when the Jews see this sign, they will know the end is here, and that is the abomination of desolation. Jews know about an abomination of desolation, right? There's one, when they, um, while we're celebrating Christmas, what are the Jews celebrating? Hanukkah, right? What's Hanukkah uh, pointing back to? A time when of a rededication of the temple after, and they will tell you, an abomination of desolation, right? They've already seen it. Daniel actually predicted that one as well. That happened before Christ. I think it was 137 BC. I don't have my numbers uh, fresh in my mind on that one. But they know what an abomination of desolation is. They know what to expect, and they'll, they'll see it. And Jesus is saying, when you see that, run for the hills. There's your sign. So he... he he answered that question of when will the sign of the end of the age be? He answered it specifically for the Jews, you know, and he pointed them back to Daniel. We looked back there and the, we know from Daniel, and they would have too, that's right in the middle of the last seven years of a time um, that's about Israel and Jerusalem that was given to Daniel. So that last seven years is being held off until the end of this age. We know we're there. We see it. So Jesus is answering that question. This morning, as he continues, he's going to answer the sign for the next one. What's the sign of his coming? Specifically about uh, when he will come and they will say what? Blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. He's answering that. And he's actually going to answer some of the when related to that end times, right? Right? And the next week, he's going to come back and talk about the when of the end of the age. It's a straightforward answering their questions. And the more that I see that, I'm going, okay, God, I don't have to like stretch this around. You're actually answering their question, and it helps me to understand what's in front of me. All right, so let's go. Verse 21. Um, He's answered the question about the sign, about the abomination of desolation. And in that time, we've got three and a half years talked about in Daniel um, and in other places in Bible, uh, in Revelation as well, of this um, time of great tribulation. So in verse 21, For then there will be great tribulation, such as not been from the beginning of the world until now, no, and never will be. And if those days had not been cut short, no human being would be saved but for the sake of the elect, those days will be cut short. Then, <clears throat> if anyone says to you, look, here is the Christ, or there he is, do not believe it. For false Christs and false prophets will arise and perform great signs and wonders so as to lead astray, if possible, even the elect. So he told us in the time leading up to the end there would be false Christs and false prophets. And we've seen that. We can look in our history. There's been false, false messiahs, false prophets. But in this time, this is now in that 
Great tribulation time, right? There's going to be false messiahs and false prophets, but with signs and wonders, with power, God's going to allow Satan to bestow power on these false prophets in, in order to, to be able to uh, call down fire from heaven and do it. It's going to be like you're in a movie or something with the kinds of things that are going to be going on. You've got these false prophets calling down fire. You've got Jesus' witnesses there that consume any enemies in front of them with fire, and they're supernaturally protected. And it's like, where did we just end up in, right? It's going to be a different time at that time. What is he doing here? Just like he did at the first part. He's going through things that would lead you to believe at that time that Christ's return has come. But no, you'll see these things. It's not yet. This is not it. Right? And then, oops, let me get my notes straight. I just lost my place. 29. Or no, 20. Four, for false Christ, false prophets will arise and perform great signs and wonders so as to lead astray if possible, even the elect, if possible. It it makes it pretty clear in Revelation that ultimately, if your name is written in the Lamb's book of life, not possible. Uh, The security of the elect becomes really clear in the book of Revelation. But Satan will try, right? See, I have told you beforehand Jesus says, see, I have told you beforehand. Here's what you're going to expect. And really, he's talking to those who are in the tribulation right here. But he's talked to us in the times leading up to the end, right? He's telling us what to expect. Can you imagine if we were going through World War I and World War II, not having Jesus having told us these are things that we would expect? We would just be... uh, Undone, not knowing what's happening. Is, it, is this the time? Is it, and, and God, what's taking you so long? He's told us. Or, and, and the way Mark puts it, what Jesus said here, um, be on your guard, Jesus tells them. I told you all things beforehand. He's told us what's going to happen. He's told us what to expect. As we see things uh, unfolding in the world around us, We don't have to be undone by those things. But we do need to be on our guard to not be drawn in by false messiahs, false prophets, things that are false, because God's given us what we need to be aware. And so here's the first point in the notes. If you have the notes, um, we've got some fill-ins just to try to capture some of the things that we're pulling out here. The first point is just be cautious and wise. How can I have understanding to be cautious and wise as, as maybe a charismatic uh, figure who's, who's very believable, very uh, uh, appealing in what they're saying, and it seems right and good, and even as a Christian, it seems right and good. How do I understand that that, that is good, that that's not something Jesus has warned me about? I open up this book. I get to know it, right? He says, I, I've told you these things beforehand. So we should, we should look at it. Even if we don't understand them all, we should be able to recognize when things happen, right? Israel's going to recognize the abomination of desolation. 
But we should also expect, hey, there's going to be false prophets. There's going to be people that sound good, sound right. Or it's real close to the truth, but it's not. And that's what we can expect. There's going to be wars. There's going to be rumors of wars. Boy, we've had that. We don't have to be upset by that. We don't have to be undone by that. I don't like war. And it's a fearful thing to consider that someday, perhaps, and we're not immune as the United States, that it could come onto our shores, right? But I don't have to be undone by that because Jesus said these things are going to happen. But there's still hope in what's going to come after that. Right? So be cautious and wise. Know what to expect. Have our eyes wide open. So Jesus said, see, I've told you beforehand. Then, so, if they say to you, look, he's in the wilderness, do not go out. If they say, look, he's in the inner rooms, do not believe it. We found Jesus. He's in that house over there. But what's it going to look like? See, he's answering the question, what is the sign going to be? For as the lightning comes from the east and shines as far as the west. I've never seen lightning like there is in Texas. Uh, I grew up in California. I don't have lightning like there is in Texas. And it's like it's daylight outside, strobe light. (laughs) It's like, okay, yeah, it's going to be obvious when Jesus shows up, right? That's what he's talking about here. For as lightning comes from the east but shines as far as the west, so will be the coming of the Son of Man. Wherever the corpse is, there the vultures will gather. Um, we had some of the neighbor's dogs came in and, and killed our other neighbor's ducks. Um, and then I didn't see the ducks. Where'd you put the ducks? I didn't have to wonder where the ducks were because out in our backyard, we had a whole bunch of vultures coming down, right? To go clean up these dead ducks that were in the backyard. It, it, there's a, it's, in a sense, what's, what he's saying here is it's going to be obvious. You're not going to have to wonder, is that Jesus? Where, where, and this is in the time of the tribulation. You're looking, where is Jesus? Where, you know, is Jesus coming? Is that him? It's going to be obvious. But also, in, in this picture, wherever the corpse is there, is, there the vultures will gather, is also giving us a sense of the kind of coming that Jesus' coming is going to be. There's going to be a lot of death. There's going to be vultures. There's going to be birds. Right? All right. Verse 29. Immediately after the tribulation of those days, the sun will be darkened and the moon will not give its light. And the stars will fall from, fall from heaven and the powers of the heavens will be shaken. If you've read through the prophets, you recognize this kind of language. Darkening of the sun and moon, the heavens shaken, stars falling. That like big event stuff that precedes what in the prophecies? Day of the Lord, right? Day of the Lord events, day of vengeance, God's wrath. There's going to be no missing that, hey, here comes Jesus, because it's going to be a day of the Lord. And it's important to realize this is what's being described here. And we see that, actually, in a lot of places. I wanted to just pick up a couple. 
And since I'm not the fastest at Bible drills, I've printed out some of my other passages. Oh, thank you, sir. Probably want that too. Thank you. Yeah. We're family here. Take care of each other. All right. So, uh, Isaiah 13. Um, Isaiah chapter 13 and verse 9. Behold, the day of the Lord comes. Here's a day of the Lord passage. Cruel, with wrath and fierce anger. This is talking about this coming of Christ. To make the land a desolation and to destroy its sinners from it. For the stars of the heavens and their constellations will not give their light. The sun will be darkened at its rising and the moon will not shed its light. That's that same kind of description. There's going to be an obvious, clear, heavenly thing going on. In, 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 and we're not, it's not going to be like, oh, he's over there, right? Oh, he's in the room over there. He's out in the wilderness. No, the whole world is going to know Jesus is coming. Know that, that wrath is on its way. I will punish the world for its evil and the wicked for their iniquity. I will put an end to the pomp of the arrogant and lay low the pompous pride of the ruthless. I will make people more rare than fine gold and mankind than the gold of Ophir. Therefore, I will make the heavens tremble and the earth will be shaken. Also, earthquakes will be shaken out of its place. Worldwide earthquake at the wrath of the Lord of hosts in the day of his fierce anger. Also in Isaiah 34, we have a, a day of vengeance text. Uh, verse, verse 2, for the Lord is enraged against all the nations. This is, this is vengeance against the nations, right? We talked about this last week. Um, and furious against their hosts. He has devoted them to destruction, has given them over for slaughter. Their slain shall be cast out, and the stench of their corpses shall rise. Like vultures over corpses, right? And the mountains shall flow with their blood, and all the hosts of heaven shall rot away. Again, the, the heavens and the skies rolled up like a scroll. All their hosts shall fall as leaves fall from the vine, like leaves falling from the fig tree. And it continues down to verse 8, for the Lord has a day of vengeance, a year of recompense for the cause of Zion. What is Jesus describing here as, as what's coming with, with the Son of Man? It's, it's everything that, that's been told over and over again by the prophets. When Jesus comes, it's going to be a day of wrath. It's going to be a day of judgment. It's going to be a day of vengeance of the Lord on the nations, on well, what is Babylon then, it, it, which is the, the power of the Antichrist over all of the nations, right? When is this happening? Back in Matthew 24, verse 29, immediately after the tribulation of those days, after the great tribulation, we actually get the win of his coming, right? Immediately after, that's when the skies are going to be darkened. That's when uh, all of these heavenly things are going to happen. Stars falling, the powers of heavens shaken. What, 
what is after? We've been talking about what's in the seven years. We've been talking about the last three and a half years is the Great Tribulation. What is after? Um, Daniel, the end of Daniel actually gives us a little bit more information of what's after. Uh, we go to Daniel chapter 12. Very end of Daniel. Verse 11 says, And from the time that the regular burnt offering is taken away and, that, and the abomination that makes desolate is set up. We've, we've been talking about that. What is it? Abomination and desolation. Right in the middle of the seven years, right? There shall be 1,290 days. Now, if you've followed, like, Revelation talking about the three and a half years and different things, it, they'll mention the three and a half years in days, and it's always based on a year that's 360 days long. All of this is based on 360-day years. Um, well, I don't know if you can do the math in your head. I, it, I can't. Um, but how many days is three and a half years if a year is 360 days? It's not 1,290 days. It's 1,260 days. He's giving us an extra 30 days there. And then he gives us more. Verse 12, blessed is he who waits and arrives at the 1,335 days. He added another 45 days. There's two periods of time that follow immediately after that seven years, after the great tribulation. 30 days and 45 days. It's an extra 75 days. And then he says, but go, he's talking to Daniel, go your way till the end and you shall rest and shall stand. Oh, I can't wait till this day. You shall stand. And no one's going to get me. Uh, in your allotted place at the end of the days. That's the beginning of the millennial reign of Christ where the, uh, where the inheritance that is spoken of that we have with Christ in this world. Said, Daniel, you're going to enter that rest. You're going to stand in your allotted space. Right? I wish I could have time to get into more of this of how we have a part in that. But, but that's, this is going into the thousand-year reign. It's all done. Everything's done. In that last 30 days and 45 days, it's all wrapped up. We're going to cover some of the things. But we know what happens in that time, in the 30 days immediately following the tribulation. Is this day of the Lord event, the day of vengeance, this, the heavens, and, and, and all of that happening immediately following the tribulation. So now, an updated picture. Uh, we're just looking at the second half of the seven years there. That great tribulation is a time of war on the saints. God is turning the hearts of Israel back to himself. And at the same time, there's a great, uh, I, I understand from what the text says, that there's a, an incredible response then from all of the nations to Christ. Um, and that time, three and a half years, is 1,260 days, right? From the abomination of desolation to the end of the seven years. And then there's 30 days. And that's where right here in Matthew, we're being told is day of vengeance and Christ's return, right? The, the, the wrath uh, of God. Um, and so that's, that's in the 30 days. And then what we're told so far, we're, nothing more about what's in the next time of 45 days, but we're told that what happens at the end of that. At the end of that, 45 days is when the reign of Jesus, the rest, a whole, uh, 
boy, I wish I could get into what that's going to be like because it's, I mean, the, Isaiah says that if someone dies at 100 years old during that time, that's like they're young, right? It, the, the curse that's currently on the world because of sin, Jesus is going to do something. There's this, there's this weird day talked about in Zechariah chapter 14 where it's like he's lifting the curse, I think is what's happening there, and it's going to be different. But it's going to be this world. It's not the ultimate heaven yet, but this world for the first time, God is reigning in righteousness, right? I, I can't wait. So, verse 30. Then will appear in heaven the sign of the Son of Man. Well, they're asking, what's the sign of your coming? He's answering it. He is, here's, what's the, here's what's not going to be the sign. Here's the things leading up to it in the time of the tribulation. And then at the end, after, he's actually giving the win of it, right? It's, if you're in that time of tribulation, you don't have to wonder. You know exactly how many days from the abomination of desolation to the end, and that it's 30 days in that time that Christ will come. You know, right? The sign of Son of Man appeared in the heavens. Then all the tribes of earth will mourn. Wrath is coming. That's the kind of mourning. The wrath of God is coming upon the nations, and they will see the Son of Man coming on the clouds of heaven with power and great glory. You won't be able to miss it. You ever seen those videos that start at the earth and zoom out through the galaxies and, and all of it? It's just you realize how tiny our earth, our world that God created for us to live on is compared to all of his creation. The God who created all that is going to visit the earth in wrath. You think we'll miss it. No, and he's going he's to make these crazy signs in the heavens. With, with, I don't know what stars falling means practically, but you'll know it when you see it if you're there. Stars falling, heavens, heavens shaking, being disturbed, the, the sun and the moon losing their light. God's going to visit this world. Jesus is going to visit this world in wrath. The last time he poured out his wrath on this world was with the flood. But the last time he poured out his wrath was on his son, Jesus, on the cross for our sin so that we don't have to face his wrath in the future. This is the time when Israel, having come through the tribulation, their heart turned back to God, crying out to him, will say, blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. Our salvation, Jesus, is coming to save us. He's answering our cries. He's answering our prayers. That's what's happening right there. And he is going to enact vengeance on the world. Then we get to verse 31. And he will send out his angels with a loud trumpet call. And they will gather his elect from the four winds from one end of heaven to the other. This is one verse that has confused Everyone, it confused me at first. Um, because there's a lot of scripture about Jesus coming back for the church, to get the church, 
his bride, the rapture. Sorry, we're not going to talk about that till next week. But, but we see this and we go, oh, is this the rapture? But there's a problem with that. What's the context? The wrath of God. Right? And, 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 and everything that's happening around it doesn't match. We'll look at this next week. The accounts of the rapture and what to expect about what's happening at that time. This is the world cowering from the wrath of God. This is the heavens shaking, the ground shaking. What is he talking about here? We see this in prophecy, actually. Um, if I go to Isaiah, chap- back, back to chapter 13, where it's talking about the day of the Lord event. If we go back a little bit further in Isaiah chapter 13, um, before it's saying that there'll be the day of the Lord, in verse 9 it says, Behold, the day of the Lord comes. And back um, in verse 4, describing leading, what's leading up to that, the sound of a tumult is on the ha- as I had tumult, is on the mountains as of a great multitude, the sound of an uproar of kingdoms, of nations gathering together. The Lord of hosts is doing what? He's mustering a host for battle. Who's the host he's mustering for battle? Five, they come from a distant land from the end of the heavens. Where are the angels gathering these from? From the four winds, from the ends of the heavens. He's not taking them from the ground. He's gathering the armies of God, us, to battle. His hosts, the Lord, and the weapons of his indignation to destroy the whole land. Here's what's going on. This is the day of the Lord event, and he's gathering us to come with him. He's sending out his angels. That's actually another distinct thing about this from the rapture. His angels are being sent out to do the gathering, and they're gathering not from those living on the earth, but gathering from the heavens, right? That's what's going on. It's the context. It's the day of the Lord. And, and we see this actually in Revelation. I think this is exactly the event of Revelation chapter 19. As you see the church at the beginning of 19, coming in, worshiping, praising God in fine linens, right? His church, his bride. And then, and then in Revelation uh, chapter 19, verse 17, it says, Then I saw an angel standing in the sun. <laughs> John's trying to describe what he's seeing. I, I, yeah, it's like someone's in the sun. I, I don't know. Um, and with a loud voice, he called to all the birds that fly directly overhead. Does this sound familiar already? The birds that come to the corpses. Come gather for the great supper of God. Your birds are going to eat. The wrath of God is about to be poured out on the nations. To eat the flesh of kings, the flesh of captains, the flesh of mighty men, the flesh of horses and their riders, and the flesh of all men, both free and slave, both small and great. All nations, all tribes, all people, God's wrath is coming on them. And I saw the beast, that's the Antichrist, that's the one who sets up the abomination of desolation. I saw the beast and the kings of the earth with their armies gathered to make war against him who was sitting on, a horse, on the horse and against his army. And the beast was captured, and with it the false prophet who was in its presence, uh, who in its presence 
had done the signs by which he deceived those who had received the mark of the beast and those who worshipped his image. So it's a big description of this prophet. The prophet is the second beast who there in the presence of the Antichrist does these signs and wonders to deceive people to worship the beast and take the mark, right? These two were thrown into the lake of fire that burns with sulfur and the rest, the rest of the armies gathered against God were slain by the sword that came from the mouth of him who was sitting on the horse. And all the birds were gorged with their flesh. We are there in Revelation 19, gathered together with Christ. You actually have to go back. I don't have time to go through the whole chapter 19. We're there. He's gathered his armies. Who's his army? That's us. To make war. That, that was back in verse 19. Oh, uh, sorry. Yes. So the beast and the kings of the earth with their armies gathered to make war against Jesus sitting on the horse and against his army, which is us, that he sent his angels out to gather to himself. That's what's going on here. You ever... Well, Elizabeth and I, it must have been even before kids, we went and watched Saving Private Ryan when it first came out. And that opening scene, I realized halfway through it, I was halfway down into my chair. It's just like, ah, ah, right? It's just the, it's overwhelming. As I, the more I study the day of the Lord, it's kind of like that. It's sobering. It's overwhelming what it's going to be. But as I was going through this, I realized how, how important it is, it is for us to realize what we're taught elsewhere in Scripture. Vengeance, here's the second point. Vengeance belongs to who? The Lord, not me. And will he do a better job than me of enacting justice and vengeance? Absolutely. It makes me cower to consider his wrath and vengeance. Vengeance belongs to the Lord. And the fact that God has not yet enacted vengeance is his grace and mercy. We wonder why, why are evil things happening in the world? God is continuing to be patient. Why, why do I continue to happen in the world, right? God is continuing to be patient, but ultimately, there will be a day, God says, when he will enact vengeance, right? Vengeance for who? For the righteous that have been oppressed who are not given vengeance. Romans 12 says, if possible, so far as it depends on you, live peaceably with all. Beloved, never avenge yourselves, but leave it to the wrath of God, for it is written, vengeance is mine, I will repay, says the Lord. How many, how many of you have felt like I need to repay? I, I've had plenty of times, oh no, my sense of justice goes up. Look how they wrongfully hurt me, wrongfully did that. They cut me off in traffic. All right, I've got something against them. Whatever it is, I mean, it could be big, it could be small, but our sense of vengeance, it comes, it comes to the surface right away. God says, no. Leave that to me. And as I read these passages, boy, he is going 
to bring vengeance. I don't have to wonder if everything will be reconciled in the end. God will repay. Verse 20, to the contrary, if your enemy is hungry, your enemy, whoever is most against you, if your enemy is hungry, feed him, bless him. If he's thirsty, give him something to drink. For by so doing, you will heap burning coals on his head. This has always been the most curious addition to this. And I think I have a new perspective maybe on what this is about. God will enact vengeance. And as you are following Christ, blessing those who curse you, praying for those who persecute you, feeding your enemy, giving a drink to your enemy who's thirsty, blessing them instead of cursing them. And they continue to curse you. They continue to hurt you. We know God will enact vengeance. And what is ultimately happening is to their account, vengeance is building up. And perhaps that's what these coals are about. I've heard all sorts of different reasons for, you know, what is this talking about? But, but it makes sense that God will enact justice. And as you are blessing them instead of cursing them, that disparity against their account before God just gets greater. But what is our hope? Our hope is that they will, by our blessing them, turn to Christ what do we have in Christ? What could they have in Christ? Is it that account? That account of vengeance against us is then poured out on the cross for us. And our account's wiped clean. And they could have it too. And perhaps by blessing them one more time, they'll turn to Jesus and they'll see the grace of God in us. And they won't face Vengeance, wrath, destruction. So Jesus says, extend the same grace. Extend the same patience and forbearance. It's not time for vengeance yet. There will be a time, right? And that gets to our last point. And this one's the most awkward for me, but the more I I just meditate on what it really means, the more I understand it. But it's true that his justice is worthy of praise. His justice is worthy of praise. God continues by his grace to allow more people to turn to him. He gives more time and more time. But there will be a time when he does deal with evil, that he does bring righteousness on earth, and that is something to celebrate because we will have a time where, well, ultimately sin is no more. God is going to deal with that. And that's something. And so when he comes in wrath and he comes to make right every wrong, that is something to worship and praise him about. Psalm 149, so the Psalms are an incredible tool that we have in the Bible. They're, they're songs, that, and, and they, they express oftentimes uh, a word of, of response to events that were happening in ancient times in Israel. Um, but 
the Spirit of God was guiding the writers of these psalms so that many of them are prophetic. Many of them are pointing to the future and, and some of them expressing what a future generation will cry out in the midst of a future event that hasn't happened yet. And I, and I look at Psalm 149 and I, and I see a connection to this day of the Lord event. When, it, when Christ is coming and he is gathering his armies to enact justice. I don't have time for all of Psalm 149. So let's start in verse 5. Let the godly exult in glory. And, and the whole beginning of Psalm 149 is praise and glory to God. Let the godly exult in glory. Let them sing for joy on their beds. Let the high praises of God be in their throats and two-edged swords in their hands. Ah, uh, that's different. But it, but it matches what's going on here. Two-edged swords to execute vengeance on the nations and punishment on the peoples. To bind their kings with chains and their nobles with fetters of iron. To execute on them the judgment written. This is honor for all his godly ones. He is enacting vengeance on behalf of his godly ones. Praise the Lord. God doesn't delight in the destruction of the wicked, but he does delight in righteousness. And we can in that day also delight and praise God for bringing about righteousness. Everything wrong is paid for. Everything right is rewarded. He will bring about righteousness. But until that time, what's given to us? The gospel, the good news of Jesus Christ, which is so important. What God did through his son on the cross was to pour out his wrath on our behalf so that we don't have to face these things. That's what it's about. That's, all, that's what the cross is about. You wonder, what's the cross about? Everyone has all these crucifixions. The cross is that. It's God sending his son Jesus to pay the penalty so that the, the account of our debt, of our sin debt, of every time we have, we have hurt or, 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 or slandered or done anything to anyone, that, that, that God will repay those things. He repays it against our account on his own son Jesus. That is the love of God for us, his grace. And all we have to do is accept it. Yes, I want to follow Jesus. Yes, Jesus, be my Lord and Savior. And all that debt's canceled. And even now, today, we begin a new life in Him. Our debt wiped clean. Suddenly, we can actually live in righteousness. Not because we're perfect. John mentioned that earlier. Right? Not because we're perfect but our account's been cleaned out. And we can actually live following Christ. No more condemnation, no more guilt, no more shame. Not because of anything we did, but because of everything he did on the cross. And we will never face judgment and wrath when our lives are in him. Let's pray. Lord Jesus, I thank you for your great grace which you showed on the cross. 
God, I thank you for your forbearance and faithfulness and, and grace that, that would allow even these times now to continue, that more might be saved. And God, I just pray uh, that you would bring in many more, that in this community and, and even those in this room maybe that are, that are seeking you, God, uh, trying to understand what all this is about, God, that you just make it clear what you did on the cross to pay for their sin too. And Lord, that they would turn to you in faith and have life. Lord Jesus, I pray that you not let us get caught up in the details of this world so much that we lose sight of the hope that we have in your coming. We don't have to make things even. We don't have to get even with anybody. You're going to take care of that. We can trust you. God, you've given us one thing. Show your love to those around us. Show your kindness. Show your mercy to our community, to, to, to the people in our midst, to our brothers and sisters. God, that's what you have for us. Lord, shame on us for, for taking up vengeance into our own hands, for me wanting to, to keep an account, a record of wrongs with anyone. God, just help me to lay that down, to just forget it, to not touch it anymore. Let go of any record of wrong. God, you will repay. And that's a terrifying thing. And Lord, those in my life who don't know you, Lord, whose, whose guilt is great, Lord, I pray that you bring them to salvation, that they not have to face vengeance even on my account. But they would have salvation in you. Lord Jesus, thank you for your grace. Help us to walk in it, to live in it, to enjoy it to its fullest. It's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Let's stand and sing. He became sin who knew no sin that we might become his righteousness. He humbled himself and he carried the cross his love so amazing his love so amazing jesus messiah the name above all names our blessed Redeemer, He is Emmanuel, the rescue for sinners, He's the ransom from heaven, Jesus Messiah. He's the Lord of all. His body the bread, His blood the wine, broken and poured out, all for love. Oh, the whole earth trembled and the veil was torn. His love so amazing 
Your love's so amazing Jesus Messiah Name above all names A blessed Redeemer He is a man you will the man you will, he's the rescue for sinners. Yes, he's the ransom from heaven. Our Jesus Messiah, he is the Lord of all. All our hope is in you All our hope is in you All the glory to you, God The light of the world All our hope is in you all our hope is in you All the glory to you, God Yes, you're the light of the world Our Jesus Messiah the name above all names Blessed Redeemer He is Emmanuel Emmanuel The rescue for sinners Oh, He's the ransom from heaven our Jesus Messiah, He's the Lord of all. Our Jesus Messiah, He is the Lord of all. He's the true Messiah, He is Lord of all. Oh, can't wait until we get to see him face to face. Church, there is one of our members who, gets to, who, who recently got to go see him face to face, Terry. Um, oh. In three weeks, we're going to have a memorial service for her. I just want to give you a heads up. Palm Sunday in the afternoon at 3.30, we're going to celebrate her life. Uh, uh, a woman who showed the love of Christ in a unique way that incredibly appreciate. So if you want to be here for that, it's in three weeks. Go in the Lord, church. I love you.